Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Welcome to Fall in Charleston. If you are new to Charleston, Fall in Charleston is absolutely no different than any other month of the season in Charleston. But uh, if you're waiting for the leaves to turn, someplace about January, February, they'll turn a nice little yellow, then they'll turn brown, and they'll drop. Yeah, in just depression, and they'll just lay there, and then it'll be 100 degrees. But enjoy it. This is a great week. It's been absolutely beautiful. Stacy was talking to us about Trunk or Treat. Let me encourage you. This little card here, uh, she mentioned about the QR code. And I realized that some of you are baby boomers, like myself, and you're wondering what the heck is a QR code? Is that the same, same thing as Snapchat or Slapface or whatever the other things that we have going on in, in social media? So uh, let, let me, all you have to do is open up your phone and then uh, open up the camera. You don't even have to take a picture of it. You just scan this little QR code, same as the barcode, but they made it into a nice little shape. And that way you can sign up to be a part of our trunk or treat. It is phenomenal. We'll have like 500 kids show up and it's a great opportunity for us to serve our community with the love of Christ, give out some candy. You can be a part of that. And if you want to sign up to do a trunk or you want to help in some other way, please just hit that QR code and it'll take you right where you need to sign up. It's great. I'm seeing a lot of people going to their phones. Get off of Facebook. Scott, get off Facebook. No, I see a lot of people going to their phones. That's good. Hope you sign up for it. Um, Also, let's talk about Entrusted. Entrusted is our women's conference that's happening this week. Why go to Entrusted? If you haven't, if you, yeah. Um, So if you haven't signed up for Entrusted, why would you sign up for Entrusted? As a, I know where I am culturally right now. I'm a 62-year-old white baby boomer dude, okay? I know where that puts me culturally. Our culture has changed a lot. Some of our culture needs to change a lot. I am not guilty of all things, but as I grow, I see that maybe I do have some biases that are in play. One of the things that's taken place is that I think women have tried to find their place in our culture, um, and it is so difficult to do it. And I think our culture is beginning to wake up and to realize that this is not a man's world and you're just happening to live in it. But let me encourage you, in the middle of all that struggle, you may be looking, if you're a woman, you may be looking for a power and authority in your life. It is not going to come to you from the Democratic Party, from the Republican Party. It is not going to come from your estrogen. It is going to come to you through the Word of God. And the better you grab hold of the word of God, that authority will not be just as good as men. It will be better. It will be the wisdom and the truth of God in your life. So let me encourage you. If you are looking around and you're seeing a culture that may have some inequity in it, I agree with you. I believe there are some inequities in it. The question is, is what well are we going to go to to drink from in order to get that equity? Well, let me encourage you, sign up for this women's conference this week, because as you're taught and understand the word of God, and the more that you handle it rightly, you will see the authority of God come into your life in God's world. So if you can't afford to go to the conference, let us know. You can come free on us. We just want you to be a part of this incredible moment that's going to take place. So welcome to our series on Framed. Um, I'm going to warn you, first service did not go the way that I thought it was going to go. I I mean, it really went sideways on me, and I didn't like it. It was perfect, but I didn't like it. And I'll I'll tell you why in a second, but um, I'll tell you why. It's because it got really gooey, and I don't like gooey. I get nervous with gooey. I'm I'm a guy who likes structure. I'm a guy who likes... Give me the right answer. I'll go do the right answer. I don't like, I don't like touchy. I don't like the hug. I don't like the, it's my dysfunction. It's not the way God created me. It's my dysfunction. But so when I came out and I started speaking, it went in a direction that the Holy Spirit wanted it to go. So let me encourage you today. Maybe the Holy Spirit will take this one as well and go in that direction. So we talked about frames and we've been talking about there's a philosophy behind framing things. I like art, I love science, I love all, so I always look for metaphor about the uh, things of God. And so we learned that when you frame something, you are saying that it is no longer arbitrary. That once you put four edges around an arbitrary observation, 
you make that observation anything but arbitrary. The moment you take a picture of some kids and you put a frame around it, oh, those must be your kids. As soon as you take a picture of a house and you put a frame around, oh, is that where you grew up? As soon as you take a picture of a, you know, whatever it may be, like some rocks, some arbitrary rocks. As soon as you frame it, people want to know, well, so why these rocks? Because the framing somehow calls out the ordinary into something unique, something, something possessed. And that's what frames do. And we talked about, you know, framing somebody else's picture in your house. Well, somebody was, got a new TV and... And I joked about how if you um, uh, get my wife's picture off of Facebook, that's okay. And you can see it on Facebook because she's invited you to be her friend. But if you were to print out that picture, and then if you were to print out that picture and you were to frame that picture and hang it up on the wall of your house, you and me are going to have a conversation. Okay? And you understand. It's like, isn't it crazy how framing the picture and hanging it change your attitude about the picture? But that's how we express uniqueness. Well, sure enough, somebody sent me a picture, wanted to show me their TV that they just got and hung, and this is it right here. And then I looked a little bit over to the left there. That's a picture of my wife. Okay, they, they, they printed it off. And, and uh, so I had it at 1.30 in the morning. There I was fighting on their front lawn over that picture, you know. Um, but, you know, they, they heard the sermon, so they did that just to kind of get under my skin a little bit. But isn't it really interesting that framing has that incredible power? That's what happens with us. We are framed by grace. You know, we're not, we're, we're not just saved, but it's through the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ that was shed for us, that frames our lives, frames the picture of our lives with the blood of Christ, that we become something different. We become something unique. You know, there's, there's been about 60, 60 billion homo sapiens mammals, whatever you want to call them, Neanderthals, whatever those creatures are, there's been a bunch of them have walked planet Earth. But the moment that you're framed by the grace of God, you become a son and daughter of the living God. You become something more than just your biological makeup. You become more than just an arbitrary human being walking on the planet. You become a son and daughter of the living God. So it is through the sacrifice of the cross that we are invited to, to this frame that has been made for us and are forgiven. But we get to choose whether or not we're a part of it. God doesn't just, you know, make people become his children. He gives you a choice. He sets up the frame. He's already done it through the work of Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's already made the frame, but then he gets, he allows you to make a choice about this. And here's why this is really important. We live in an age of spiritual universalism or pluralism. Okay, that in, in fancy, everybody's God's children. And God, God just, we're all God's kids. And we're all, you know, it's like, no, that is not biblically correct. To as many as receive him, he gives the power to become the children of God. We are all God's creation. And God loves all of us. But being a child of God is something unique, something called out from the ordinary. And the way that we become a child of God is through a relationship with him through Jesus. Listen to what Paul said. and Because I, I want to clear this up. I think we're, I think we're in a, a time of our country's um, a, a moment where we're not sure about stuff. Do we listen to CNN or Fox or neither? Or do we just get our new f news from YouTube and TikTok? Um, do we uh, wear a mask or don't wear a mask? Do we, do we go with vaccination or not vaccination? Booster or no booster? I mean, there's, there's so, am I a racist or aren't I a racist? Tell me, I don't know, you know? I mean, it is, we're, we really don't know. And so what God has really pressed on me is like, Paul, you need to get back to simple. People want to believe in something. You need to tell them exactly what it is because there's so many things being peddled out there. Well, here's how you become a child of God. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's it right there. So if you've gotten confused in your journey, and I do, I get confused sometimes in my journey with God and, and, and 
you know, do I believe this guy or that guy, that gal, or you know, who was right, who was wrong? How do we make up for the past? How we do all this other stuff? It's like, give me something certain right now. And I need it to be certain about God. I need to know, am I in or am I out? Is Trump president of the United States or isn't he? There are some people who think Donald Trump is the president of the United States, okay? I don't know how they get there, but that's the kind of confusion that we have right now in America. And so God is like, listen, you need to just get right back to, you know, how do they become a child of God? This way, Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Do you believe that? Have you confessed that? Is he Lord, not just savior, not the one who keeps me from going to hell, but is he the ultimate authority of my life and I have decided I will walk in his ways and I will follow after him? Okay, that's, that's where God wants all of us to be today is to realize how important that, that relationship. Every one of us are invited to this. See, in Peter's time, when, when Peter the apostle was walking the earth, he was raised like most Jewish people, that the, the Jewish people were the people of God and everybody else were Gentiles or heathens or pagans or infidels, whatever you want to use. But, but, so there was the people that were in and then there were people that were out. Now, all the time, there was a way to become part of the nation of Israel. But for, for Peter, pretty much, he believed if you weren't born Jewish, you were out. You don't got a chance. There's no way that you're ever going to be loved by God. It's just not happening for you. So Peter one day is sitting around and he's um, in the book of Acts chapter 10. We're told about how he's sitting and he's having this conversation with God. And God tells him to go talk to this guy named Cornelius. And Cornelius is the worst human being ever. I mean, he is like, I'm making that up. But to Peter, he's the worst kind of person. Because one, the Jews are being oppressed by Romans. Guess who happens to be a Roman? Cornelius. Peter is Jewish. The Jewish people are in, the Gentiles out. Uh, Cornelius just happens to be a Gentile. So in Peter's mind, it's like, you know, looking through the crowd and saying, well, I know he's not going to heaven. Well, I know he's not. I know God doesn't care about them. And, and, and it sounds very Bible Beltish, you know, that we get to decide who's in and who's out based upon what behaviors we agree with or don't agree with. But Peter was very much like that. He got it naturally. I mean, he was kind of raised that way. So God tells him, no, I want you to go talk to Cornelius. Cornelius and God said, and Peter says, no, God, I'll never do that. He's like, no, I'm telling you, you need to go see Cornelius. No, no, he's the wrong kind of dude. And then God finally pushes back on him to let him know about how great this frame that God has created with the cross of Christ. And he says to Peter, he kind of gets in his face a little bit. And he says in Acts 10, 15, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. It's like, hey, he's one of my kids. Don't you be talking about my kid that way. You know, if this, I know you moms that are in this place. You may be wonderful and amazing and sweet and all dressed pretty today and all that other stuff. I know how to get in a fight with you. Okay, I could talk to you about your husband. You might even say, yeah, you're right. Let me tell you something else about her, okay? Okay, so maybe the husband thing wouldn't do it. All I have to do is talk bad about your child and you would come unglued. You would, I don't care how big you are or how small you are or whatever, you would knock me out. And so Peter's already decided some people can be children of God, uh, but some other people, no, there's no way that they can be children. And God says to Peter, he says, listen, what I have cleansed no longer consider unholy. What an amazing beautiful thing that he tells him. That once we are placed in right relationship with God, because of our relationship with Jesus, we are no longer outsiders. We are holy. Now I wonder, what's Peter's beef here? I mean, God has to tell Peter two times, no, I said, get up and eat, and I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And he's like, no, Lord. He's like, Peter, I'm telling you, what I have made clean, no longer consider unholy. Why is it that Peter was going through that? I don't think it was just because he was Jewish and raised that way. I think it's the struggle that we all have. You know, I think we have it every single day when we stand in front of the mirror, when we consider our past, what we've done wrong. When we know our thoughts, what's going on inside the noggin here. You know, you know what's going on in your noggin. 
You know the thoughts that you have. You know, and I tell you, I'm very open about my past and I'm very open about my struggles with you. Okay, and some of you are like, uh, uh, this guy's a little much for me. You know, he's way too honest about what goes on in his life. Well, here's the thing. That's just the stuff I'm sharing. Can you imagine the stuff I'm not sharing that's going on inside of my head? Okay, and so Peter is like, hey, you know, I got this past. There's no way. And then he's thinking about himself. It's like, there's no way. And then we see our ugly side. We see what we think. We, we, <laughs> just yesterday, I was working in, in the yard and we put up a fence. I didn't like the way the fence was going, so I had to chop some of the fence down because it's a metal fence. So I'm out there, you know, chopping it and all this other stuff. And it's, it's like, I'm, I'm just getting angry. It's like, you idiot. Why did you put this fence this way? You should have turned it that way. It's like, and I, I, I was just, just, I mean, Brian was working me. He didn't hear me, but I was, I was, I'm just going to be honest. I was F-bombing like nobody's business under my breath. You know, I mean, I was just like losing it. Every, I was looking for a cuss word with every letter of the alphabet. I have a grandchild around, so she's always singing the A, B, C, D, and I'm going through every letter thinking of a cuss word that could associate it with that, thinking about my, my, you know, and then Deanna's teaching her A is for Apple. Apple, I'm like, I'll tell you what A is for, okay? I got, I got a couple words that go with A. But it's like, well, well, how can you possibly feel saved when we got that going on inside of our heads? We need to remember this. What God has cleansed, let no one consider unholy. Wow. That could change some of our lives if we really bought into that. Are we imperfect? Yes. As a Christian, I am. But I believe holy in this context is not to convey moral perfection. Holy is to convey something special, something set apart, something belonging, something in perfect standing with. I can be in perfect standing in my, with my relationship with my wife, but not be a perfect person in that standing. Meaning that I am functioning within the context of that relationship and I have a right to be there. Perfectly or imperfectly, I have a right to be there. And what we're told is that we are made holy by God through Christ. We are put in the frame. We are, our picture is put there because of our relationship with Christ. That we are special. That we have perfect standing with him, even though we are imperfect. Sounds too good to believe, doesn't it? I mean, even saying that, I'm, I kind of question if, I, if I'm wrong on this. But it's not because of my interpretation of scripture, it's because of my knowledge of myself that I get a little confused by this. I was raised Catholic, nothing wrong with being Catholic either. I mean, I, I will reference it a little bit once in a while, but my parents were Catholic, they raised me, they loved Jesus with all their heart, they're in heaven right now. But, uh, so I, have, I'm not, I don't have anything, no beef with the Catholics. Is there some wrong doctrine? Absolutely. Is there wrong doctrine in this church? Absolutely, I don't know about it yet, I'm sure you'll tell me about it, but I probably hold something wrong, but we don't hold this wrong. See, Paul in all of his letters, he writes and he starts off to this motley group of people, just like you and I, just like the people at Charleston, the people at Cross Sound, the people in Goose Creek. He's writing these letters and he starts off this letter to the Ephesians. To those who are at Ephesus, the saints that are at Ephesus, grace and peace to you. He uses the word saint. Now, if you were raised Catholic, word saint is like, I mean, like that's wicked high. Okay, there's Jesus, and then in the Catholic Church, there's Jesus, there's Mary, and then there's the saints. Well, it's really supposed to be Jesus, Mary, and the rest of us right alongside of Mary. But there's this, when you were a saint, you were somebody that was like, had a perfect life. So much so, they will dig up your bones, take your bones, they're called relics, and if a miracle is performed with those relics, and a certain amount of them are documented. They will take your name in front of the Vatican, and the Vatican and the cardinals and all of the folks will get together, and they will vote whether or not you are canonized as a saint. And then about 600 years after that's all done, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren get to be excited because you got picked to be a saint in the Catholic Church. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like that's going to happen for me anytime soon. But it's not biblical. In the Bible, we are told that we are in Christ. We are the saints of God. We have been set apart by God. We're special to God. We are the children of God. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Um, 
what, it's, what it means is God is saying, stop calling yourself anything other than what I call you. Stop looking in the mirror and thinking, I would just feel so much better about myself if I lost 15 pounds. What has 15 pounds got to do with your soul? You know, if I could just stop looking at porn, I would feel so much better about myself. If I would stop drinking so much, I would feel, if I would stop using cuss words, I would feel, and God is like, listen, I said, stop calling unclean what I have made clean. You're my child. You are a saint. Now, I know some of you are like, okay, th this has got to have gone wrong someplace. I don't know, you may not be able to put your finger on a Bible verse that makes me wrong, but, and the reason why you can't, because it's not there, but it just, it's counterintuitive to humans. It really is. It's very counterintuitive to religious humans. So, can I lose this if I sin? I'm gonna be very basic. The answer is no. Okay, moral perfection did not put you in the frame. Therefore, moral perfection doesn't keep you in the frame. The death and the resurrection of Christ built the frame and Christ paid the price for all of your shortcomings. So your relationship with Christ puts you in the frame, not your moral behavior. So if you've been going through a list of like, well, I can't be a Christian because I struggle with homosexual thoughts. I can't be a Christian because I cheated on my wife. I can't be a Christian because I have, you know, I'm, I have a problem with greed or jealousy, whatever. It's like, if you're thinking that stopping those things is going to put you in the frame, you're not believing the scriptures. You may be believing religion, but that's not the message of Jesus Christ. That's not good news. So can I lose it? No. Your relationship with Christ puts you in the frame. Can I go to heaven and keep sinning? Okay, now that's, that's something that a lot of us would ask, um, is if I keep doing this sin, will I go to heaven? Uh, and a lot of us will, will say, well, no, I can't go to heaven. Here's how this became such a big problem for the Catholics, for Catholic theologians. Okay, and again, I still consider myself Catholic. I didn't have to reject all of it, just some of it. Um, they, have, they believe that if you were to die, and let's say you just drank like too many beers and you got hammered last night, all right? And, uh, and you happened to die because your blood pressure went up and you, you know, you croaked and you died. But uh, well, so the problem they would have is that, well, you must have, um, we got to do something about the sin of drunkenness because you died in sin. You had a sin when you died. So we got to do something. To, so let's invent some way that that sin gets taken care of. Enter purgatory. Purgatory is a purely non-biblical doctrine because somebody in some really old time, maybe it's Augustine, maybe we can blame him, or maybe Aquinas, but some old dude said, no, you gotta pay for that sin. Nobody getting into heaven if you were drunk last night. And so they sent you to this place called purgatory. Hell's right here, it's hot, and then there's purgatory. It's like hot, but not enough to kill you. It's kind of like, Charleston's like right here, okay? Purgatory's right here, okay? And then heaven's up here. So if you die and you have sin in your life, we gotta deal with that sin. We gotta burn it off you, so you gotta suffer. So what they'll do is they'll do a memorial mass for you, and they'll pray that your soul will be lifted out of purgatory and you'll be taken to heaven eventually. Now, if you're kind of a little bit of a screw-up like myself, that time in purgatory may be like an extended stay. Okay, you didn't go to a hotel, you went to an extended stay, and that somebody's got to pray you out, do Hail Mary's, Our Fathers, and give a certain amount, and then finally, one day, when we don't know it, but one day you get up to heaven and finally get there. Does that sound exhausting or what? Doesn't that sound made up? Because it is. And why was it made up? Because they were evil to come up with it? No. It's because humans have a hard time believing grace is this good, that Jesus is that good, that his sacrifice was that pure and holy, that his forgiveness is that deep and that true. And we just have a hard time, like Peter, there's no way the gays are getting in. There's no way 
the guy that cheated on his wife is getting in. Oh, he's a little lying here and there. Yeah, you can get into heaven and tell a little bit of lie, but, but transsexuals, no way they're going to heaven. Okay? It's like we're all going to heaven not because of our moral behavior. is because if we are in Christ through our relationship with Christ, we are made righteous by Christ and we get put into this frame. Now, some of you are having a hard time. I can even feel it. It's like, yeah, maybe you, Pastor Paul, but not me. Uh, there's no way. And it's like, no, this is the gospel. And whatever we turned it into in the Bible Belt, it's crazy. In order to be a part of a church, you have to commit to like five things. And we may even have these. I don't know. I don't even know if we do that anymore. Uh, it's like, because I don't know if I believe in that. It's like, uh, it's like, but you're in charge. I'm like, yeah, so what? And so it's like, but it's like most churches, in order to be a member of the church, what? First, you got to promise you'll tie 10% of your income. Okay? Ooh, that's clever. I like that. Um, I think we did that in the, in the middle centuries. We didn't we call it, it sounds like indulgences, but okay, we'll, we'll be 10% of your income. Um, that you'll submit to all the authority in the church, uh, that you will stand against abortion, that you'll stand against gay marriage, and that otherwise, come on in. You can be a member here. Well, my thing is, is well, wait, 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 wait. So you're, you gotta be kind of like perfect in order to be a member of your church. You gotta already be cleaned up in order to be called the cleaned. You've already gotta have all your stuff together uh, S, S stands for stuff, says Ireland. Uh, but uh, but you got to have all your stuff together in order to be a part of it. And, and it's like, that doesn't sound like the gospel. So what are we supposed to be focusing on if not sin? Well, listen to Jesus. John 15, 1. I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's why you're clean. Not because of what you did, but because what I spoke over you. And Jesus said, I've already spoken to you. Be forgiven. Be loved. He said, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And now he says, here's what you need to be focusing on. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like, Wow. You cannot lose your salvation, okay? And before you amend me too much, but when we deliberately choose to walk out of abiding in Christ, then the benefits of the relationship are forfeit. There's not a certain kind of sin. If you do this sin, you're no longer a Christian because that's, that's kind of Bible Belt teaching. Well, if, you're, if you struggle with being gay, oh yeah, you're, you're definitely not a Christian because you were supposed to repent of that when you walked in the door and never struggled with it again. I have struggled with a gazillion things and I have repented a million times. I'm still in, you know? So you cannot lose your salvation, but if you decide you don't want Christ anymore, that's a big deal. Okay, Jesus says, um, John said that we are to walk in the light instead of walking in the darkness. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. It all comes down to not sin. It all comes down to Jesus. It was always about Jesus. Where did we get off track? You know, where did we think we had to be perfect? Where did we think that, you know, certain sins are in and certain sins are out? Certain things are acceptable and certain... It was, it's not, Jesus said, abide in me. Now, do I abide in Jesus perfectly? Absolutely not. I don't abide with my wife perfectly, but I'm still married to her. 
So when people hear this idea that they could forfeit the relationship with Christ by walking in darkness, they, they tend to panic, and I get it, because you may say, well, wait a minute, have I done this? Um, uh, let me just say, if you have done this, you don't care that you have done this. So if you're concerned about that you have done this, well, then you, you haven't done this. You haven't walked away from Christ and walking in darkness. Well, what would it look like if I was, because I want you to hear it, because I want you to be aware of it. I want you to, because I like to know, like you, I like to, you know, tell me when I'm getting cold, uh, you know, and tell me when I'm getting hot. You know, that old game that we played with kids, you know, hotter, hotter. You know, I think all in our minds we want to know, well, so let me just, what does it look like? Well, let me read it to you from the book of Romans chapter one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness suppressing the truth, okay? Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. For they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer God gave them over to a depraved mind. It's like, wow. Yeah, suppressing of the truth. I mean, you know the truth. You suppress the truth. You exchange what you know to be true for a lie. Uh, you decide to, to serve the creature. This is the creature he's talking about and not honor the creator. And he's like, yeah, if you're in that place, it says, and then God gave them over to a depraved mind. Where could we see this happening? Just to kind of get an example for us. Uh, oh, America. Okay. We have a knowledge of God, but we're suppressing the truth of God. We're exchanging the truth, everything that we've known for the last 250 something years, we're exchanging it for a lie. We no longer wanted to acknowledge God as God, but rather we want to go in pursuit of be the best version of myself. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, you know, whatever affirms you instead of affirming the creator. So here's the thing, just a side note about America. I am not a prophet, okay? I, am, I did not have a vision last night. God did not appear to me in a cloud and speak into my, word, into my ear to tell you that if America continues to go the direction it's going, according to Romans 1, verse 32, that God is going to give America over to depraved minds. It's going to happen. Another verse that says in Proverbs, a nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. It's like, wow, that's pretty hardcore. It's like, no, he's just being a gentleman. He's just giving you what you're asking for as a country. It's like, wow, that's really strong. It's like, yeah, this, this is really strong. But it doesn't have to be that way for you. You see, to as many as receive him, he gives the power to be the children of God. That God forgives us. He cleanses us. He renews us. He strengthens us. But again, God is wanting me today to get this thing back to baseline. Mass, no mass. Jesus, no Jesus. Repentance, no repentance. You know, we're all good, we're all bad, which is it? And so God is like, you're wanting something to believe in. You would not be here today if you didn't want something to believe. You want your life to matter and you wouldn't be here if, if you didn't want that. So my job today is to say, okay, here it is. It's all about Jesus. It's not, and, and to your crazy mind like mine, it's not all about your sin. Yeah, but I cheated on my wife. Yeah, well... You know, welcome to the team, you know? I mean, it's like, yeah, all, all of us that are called saints, we all got a story. We all got, we've all got mistakes. And, and, and for some of us, it continues. He said, like, wait a minute, no, wait a minute. It, it doesn't continue. Well, look, other than the name, there's one thing I, I share in common with the Apostle Paul. And I will boast of this. Me and him are just alike on this. Okay, comes out of 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am chief. 
And I looked at that a little bit and I was like, okay. And here's the part that really blew my mind was the tense of that. It doesn't say of which I was chief. It says of which I am chief. And Paul starts it off with this elaborate setup. Here is something very faithful, something very true, something worthy that everybody should accept that God loves you. Jesus is everything and he came to save us. Oh, and by the way, this is equally faithful and worthy of acceptance and everybody believing. You, you sin, man. Man, you sin. But for some reason, we think when we're sin, we're out. Now, I'm not glorifying sin here, but if we're going to take any step forward, we need to know who we are in Christ. We are saved. If we are in Christ, we are saved by the blood of the Lamb of God, the beloved Son. If that's not rock star status, what is? Losing 15 pounds? Getting a new girlfriend's going to change your life? Getting a 5% increase is going to change, you know, your whole life. Trump becoming president of the United States three years from now is going to change everything. Are we crazy? And God wants you to know that when you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, confess him in your heart, you are saved. And when you walk, it's not about sin. It's about abiding in relationship with him. So all you've got to ask yourself is like, am I receiving the truth or am I suppressing the truth? Am I acknowledging the Savior or am I only acknowledging myself? Am I exchanging the truth of God for a lie? Am I abiding in my relationship with Am I letting him prune me? I love what Paul goes on to say. Um, it says in Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not when we were sinners, but Christ died for us today. Just as if while we are sinners, Christ died for us. So no one here has sinned more than I. And I'm not, it's like, well, you're being cocky. Okay, that's not the kind of thing you get cocky about. I mean, that's not like, put it on my tombstone, lies here, dude was really bad, you know? Um, no one here has sinned more after receiving the forgiveness of God through salvation than I have. I wanna make it very clear. Um, it's like, well, Paul, you're talking about the past. No, I'm not talking about the past. I'm talking about, I struggle with my language, I struggle with my internet surfing. I struggle with my attitude towards my life, my wife. I struggle with my attitude towards you. I struggle with my unbelief. I, and it's like, then you have definitely got to be out. No. Don't call unclean what God has called clean. And if he calls me clean and use the blood of Christ to mark the frame of my life, then you know what? I'm clean. It's like, yeah, but I know you. I live next door to you. Or, or I, I've had a conversation with you. Or I've had a run-in with you. Or, you know, it's like, no, that's cool. But I am, I am saved to the bone. So how am I still framed? Well, here's how I abide in Jesus. Because it's, it's an interesting phrase, abide in me. But we really don't know what that means, do we? When I discover I, do, I did something wrong, like yesterday, when I discovered I did something wrong, that's abiding in Christ. Because people who are abiding in Christ, they don't care if they do anything wrong. They just care if they get caught. But every time I discover I've done something wrong, I'm abiding in Christ. When I feel guilty, that is abiding in the love of God, abiding in Christ. It's like, what, when you feel, yes, guilt is a gift. God doesn't let me continue to walk in the same pile of crap, okay? He lets me know, dude, you stepped in it. And it's like, oh man, you're right. And it's like, that's a gift to me. You know, it's like going to work. You know, I have a piece of something right here. Okay, I just saw like five of you just reach up and wipe your face right here. But you know, if you have a piece of something stuck in your mustache and you go all day and nobody tells you there's toilet paper hanging from your back foot or something like that. And you wish you had just one friend that would say, hey dude, you got your nose, uh, you know, 
you got something. You just wish I had somebody. And I, I'll tell you what, if I have that going on, you need to tell me. And I will be very grateful that you spoke something. That's abiding in friendship. When God tells me something that I did wrong, I'm like, thank you. When I repent, that's abiding in love. When I reject my sin and get refreshed by the Holy Spirit, that's abiding in the love of God. I like this last one even better. When I repeat that same crazy cycle over and over again, that's still abiding in the love of God. It's like, what do you mean? You make the same mistake over and over? Oh yeah, I've promised God a gazillion times I will never use the F word again. Okay? And sure enough, give me, there we go. Uh, just, it, just, it does not take long at all. And it's like, but wait a minute, you're supposed to be perfect. No, I'm not. I'm supposed to abide. That's what he told me to do, just abide. So I go through this with him. I will not let anything interfere with this process. No level of success or no level of failure. And you may be here today and you think, because nobody else knows what you did wrong, you think you're the worst human being here and there's no way you can be saved. Well, I just say, the only thing you're risking is cheapening the grace of God because the grace of God is that good. So much so the Apostle Paul's writing this down in the book of Romans. And he says, he said, where, great, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. It's like, what? Yeah, God always outdoes, outdoes sin with grace. And then he says, shall we continue to sin so that grace will abound even more? He goes, oh, no, no, don't get crazy with me. He's like, but I, you need to know that it does sound that crazy good. That's how amazing it is. John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, but doesn't God get sick of you and get impatient with you? Um, don't call unclean what God has declared clean. Remember, God is long-suffering. And that's not a phrase that we use a lot, but it technically means this. He's long-tempered. God's not some guy or gal that's just like, oh, one more, one more. My mom used to always say that to me. One more, I'll send you to the moon. She used to do this fist in my face. I'll send you to the moon. Now, she was only joking, but God's not like he just can't wait to zap you. I just can't wait to destroy you and burn you and send you to hell. <laughs> I can't wait. No. You know how long God put up with Sodom and Gomorrah before Sodom and Gomorrah were finally destroyed? We can argue all day long about what the sin is, but it really doesn't matter. But do you know how long he put up with Sodom and Gomorrah? 400 years before he finally moved against that. What is that called? That's called long-suffering. It's like God really wants to give us every chance to experience his love. God is patient. God is faithful. Lamentations 3.22, because of God's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's like, Paul, you're up there because you're, you're better than the rest of us, right? No, I'm not. I am not the pastor of this church. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know I'm not better than you. Okay? Well, why are you up here? I, I, think, uh, I think I'm up, and I mean this to honest to God. The only reason why I am the pastor of this church, if you'll put Lamentations back up on the screen, is because I believe that his compassions never fail, and every morning I wake up with Christ. He is faithful to forgive me and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. That's the only thing I may do better than the rest of you guys. That may be the only thing. I really believe it. Everything. Yeah, but shouldn't you feel bad about what you did yesterday? Okay, how bad do you want me to feel? I mean, will it make me any brighter by feeling bad? I mean, how long do you want me to drag this thing around before you think finally God can use me again? So as I abide in Christ, the Spirit does this work of pruning in my life. We, we have a fancy word in the church called sanctification. But what he does is now that I'm framed by grace, now that I'm saved, God says, okay, let's start taking some things out of your life that are really harmful to you and a little dishonoring to me as well. They're not good for other people, they're not good for you, and they're not good for heaven. But you're framed, you're safe. 
you know? And, and it's like beginning to take those things apart. Listen to the framing of God uh, that Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. I want you to hear this. I'm going to run through it real quick. Don't try to write them down. We've got all the notes on the app. Just stay in this moment with me. This is exactly how it works. He chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. I, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. You're going to see a reoccurring theme about Jesus in this. You are of God's household when you are in Christ. He has blessed us in the beloved. We're a part of God's family. We're part of the beloved. In him, referring to Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness from everything. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. God, being rich in mercy, even though we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ, with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself, it is of God. And we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. Now I just read to you about 14 verses. Did you hear anything about your moral behavior mentioned? What did you overwhelmingly hear in Christ, because of Christ, with Christ, of Christ? Why in America or why in the Bible Belt do we turn Christianity into everything about, are you gay? You drink too much? You looking at porn? Can't be a Christian looking at porn. Okay, let's go ahead and make a list of other things you can't do and be a, and you'll find out you can't be covetous and be a, a, a you know, you can't be jealous. You can't be, I mean, Romans 10, you can't even be like talk, talking bad to your parents and be a Christian if you're going to go down that road. We need to realize this is about being in Him, not in moral perfection. So, Paul, what about moral perfection now? What about doing the right thing? Aha, now we're in the frame. Most important word you'll ever hear in the book of Ephesians. In him, we're safe, we're loved, we're beloved, all that, right? Here's the most important word. Therefore, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. Not, it doesn't say so that you can be saved. It doesn't say but. He says, therefore. It's like now we're talking about moral behavior and how we live our lives. Why? Because we're living in a therefore. It's like since we're all framed up and looking pretty in Christ, God says, hey, so let's walk worthy of the calling which you already have. You're not earning the calling. You already got it. So, so why do I want to stop using bad words? Because of that word therefore. Because I want to walk in a manner that is worth why do I not cheat on my wife? Well, I, some of you say, well, I've seen her. She's real pretty. Like, no, not pretty enough. Well, it's because she's faithful to you. Um, no, I'm not faithful enough. Because uh, she makes good money? No, that's not it either. So why, Paul, do you? Is there such a woman that could keep you faithful? Absolutely not. So why are you faithful to your wife? Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which I have been called. If I lose Jesus, I'll lose my wife. But if I have Jesus, I have yes and amen through Christ. I have all things. Everything comes down to living that therefore. I do it, I do it for his sake. Walk no longer just as the godless walk. Lay aside the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you, which is, which is proper among the saints. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holy and truth. You were formerly darkness, but now you're in the Lord. You're in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, not so that you can get the light, not so that you can get saved, but now because of the therefore. Be imitators of God, beloved children, not scared that you're going to be sent to hell if you screw up just once or someplace called purgatory, but be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So I think God in closing wanted to kind of get us back to 
mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. You know, um, all the issues that we have to deal with, we've kind of lost our footing. Today, I hope you have heard that all footing comes from your relationship with Christ. All of it comes to it. It's like, well, should I be worried about, you know, my homosexual feelings? It's like, no, what you need to be worried about is your relationship with Christ. And then allow God to begin to do the process of loving pruning. And he's pruning all of us, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever we are, male or female, he's pruning all of us when we are in relationship with him. So I am framed holy to live holy. I am framed loved to live love. I am framed by God to live like Christ. And I love this one the best. I am framed in forgiveness for when I fail at all of it. And I do that often. I am chief of sinners. But while I was still a sinner, Christ forgave me. That's how good this gospel is. I know some of you are fighting with it. But wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be able to stand in front of a mirror and just say, dude, look at you. You're a saint of God. You're a child of the living God. You're his, you're beloved. Instead of trying to lose 15 pounds to feel good about yourself, or try to get other people to like you, or make more money thinking it's going to do it. No, in him, through him, and with him, in unity with the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor and praise is his forever and ever. God wants you to be framed by that message. Father, as we step into this last moment of communion, God, you have framed this moment for us, for every one of us. Say, well, Pastor Paul, can I come up? Because I'm still struggling with adulterous issues. Paul, can I come up? I'm still wrestling with my sexuality. Paul, can I come up? I'm still angry at my father. Let me encourage you. All you've got to focus on is abiding in Christ. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? He died on the cross, rose the third day, so that all your sins are gone. If you believe that, I don't care how messed up you are, how chief of sinners you may feel, the table of Christ was set just for you. Father, thank you so much for your love. And now we come to receive this expression of your body and blood to remind us that we are in Christ. We thank you, Father.